Hey everyone, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind for episode 98 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. I am here with award-winning author and productivity ninja, Grace Marshall. Grace, thanks so much for coming on the show. A pleasure to be here, Josh. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Grace, can you tell everybody, I mean, the the intro was a little bit telling, right? Obviously an author, obviously we're going to be doing some fun talks about productivity, which I think is huge for entrepreneurs, solopreneurs of all of all kinds. But for those of you, uh, for those out there that haven't heard of you, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, as a productivity ninja, I do a lot of work with um, with teams within organizations around everyday productivity. So I help them with their meetings, with their emails, with their workload, their to-do lists, that sort of thing. Um, but I also work as a coach. So I work um, individually with, tend to be leaders who are juggling in multiple arenas. So they might be leading a team within an organization as well as um, trying to start a side hustle or you know, run their own business, as well as maybe doing some community work, raising a family, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I write books as well as that. So um, the um, the award-winning um, book was How to Be Really Productive. And then my latest book is um, called Struggle, The Surprising Truth, Beauty and Opportunity Hidden in Life's Shittier Moments. Hmm. And it, it's a gr- I love the kind of subtitle. So uh, super <laughs> interesting there. We'll link to that at the end as well. So Grace, I'm really curious to know about how you came to be right how how does one become a productivity ninja could you maybe talk about the the earlier parts of the beginning of your kind of professional career yeah sure so i i did a degree in international management and modern languages Hmm. um and it was one of those degrees that really sort of prepped and primed you for the corporate ladder most of my peers went into large companies oil and gas consultancy banking that kind of thing um i ended up at a small startup renewable energy company Um, And I was in marketing. So there was me and the marketing director. He made all the decisions, then I had to make everything happen. Um, So it was it was a really kind of, it was a high pressure, high achieving sort of environment. Um, And I learned a lot. But one of the things I got, I actually started discovering was, it wasn't the right route for me. So I very quickly discovered it wasn't the right job for me. It was very much about numbers, whereas I'm much more of a people person. Um, but I, I guess you could say my academic career, I was always um, a straight A student and a bit of a people pleaser. So it was like, if someone wants me to do something, I'll do it. So I was very mm-hmm. much can do. And so it took me a little while to realize, actually, just because I can do that job doesn't mean it's the right job for me. And also, it doesn't mean that I'm giving it you know, my best either. Right. Um, so long story short, I... Um, had my midlife crisis in my mid-20s, mm-hmm. get it over and done with. And um, I, I quit that job. Um, we decided at the same time to start a family. So then I went through a massive identity crisis <laughs> once I became a parent. Um, and then I started looking at, you know, what is it I want to do? And um, a friend of mine I was talking to said, well, why don't you look into coaching? Because I was raving on about it because actually it was coaching that got me to the place where I realized I was in the wrong job. And initially, I kind of dismissed that and said, um, you know, I haven't got 25 years experience in some high flying career to impart advice on other people. But um, the more I looked into it, the more I realized that actually, it's not so much about being the expert in other people's lives, but more around helping other people to be the expert in their lives. And so that really appealed to me. And so I ended up um, retraining as a coach um, at the same time. So I started training when my son was about one. Um, And then, you know, I got all my qualifications, he was two. 
And then all of a sudden I realized at that time, there were no advertised jobs for coaches. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a thing. Um, so I realized I had to go and start my own business. So ironically, I now do marketing every single day of my life, mm -hmm. <laughs> even though I left the marketing career. <laughs> it's, it's funny how things work like that, right? Grace, I, I'm curious about a few things. So first of all, with that first job, how, how or why do you think you ended up where you ended up? Why did you not end up in one of those big corporates or, or was it not your choice? Was that kind of where you, you know, where the pieces kind of fell? Um, it was, it was slightly luck, I think, because, um, so I met my husband in my year out. So I did a four year degree. My third year was out in Germany. I met my husband there. He's actually from England. <laughs> but um, yeah, when we, we got married just after I graduated, and um and we already had a, a lease on or we were renting a house so i i was kind of i was just looking whereas everybody else was going for graduate programs anywhere in the country because they weren't tied to a place um i was kind of trying to look local so i think that's what ended up getting me uh, well that's what ended up putting that job on my radar and i applied for it and then i got it very cool and then you mm -hmm. kind of alluded to coaching having an effect on ultimately leaving that job. Can you talk a little bit about that? Who, who were you relying on as a coach or, or, you know, what was it ultimately that ended up leading you to make that decision? Yeah. So the thing I kept um, coming up against was, um, you know, what, what I kept being told was Grace, you need to be, take more initiative. You need to be making some more of your own decisions. You need to be taking initiative. And every time I tried to take initiative, they'd go, why did you do that? And I'd be like, <laughs> because I thought that's what you'd want me to do. Mm -hmm. So for me, taking initiative was very much a, a mind reading game. And it turns out I'm just not good at mind reading. Um, and, um, and so the coaching actually came across, um, came along as what I thought was going to be a training session on better decision making. And um, when I showed up, it wasn't a training session. It was just a one-to-one -one session with the coach. Mm -hmm. And so instead of being told, this is what you need to do to do your job better, I was being asked so many questions, you know, around, um, you know, what gets the best out of you? You know, when, when can you not help yourself, um, you know, from taking decisions and taking initiative? And, um, and that kind of just completely changed how I was thinking, because I think particularly early on in your career, you know, you're just trying to, especially as people please, you're just trying to do what you think other people want you to do, right? Mm -hmm. And so to be asked, you know, to have that flipped around and start to ask kind of actually, when, where am I at my best? When do I come up with my best ideas? Um, that just kind of completely changed around that thinking for me. And I think that's when I realized ah, I'm in the wrong job here. Right. And was that something that the company paid for or, or suggested? Like, how, how did that even come to be? Yeah, it was. Um, so I, I think it was um, it was our MD, our, our CEO, who um, who suggested it. So maybe it was somebody she knew or someone who was recommended to her. Um, and I remember in that particular session, I, there came a point where I suddenly realized, hang on a minute, my company is paying for me to have this session. And I think I'm coming to the realization that I'm in the wrong job and I right. might need to leave. And I said that out loud and I said, I'm feeling a slight conflict of interest here. And he was like, no, 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 it's absolutely fine. Because if you've realized you're in the wrong job, then you're also not the right person for this job. So if you decide if that decision is right for you to leave, that decision is also going to be right for the company because it, it makes room for them to hire somebody who might be right for the job. Yeah, I think that's 
a, a very often overlooked element of, of you know, getting and, and leaving jobs and which also kind of relates to relationships. And, and I've had these conversations a lot, whether it be friends or, you know, podcast guests, you know, podcast guests more has to do with jobs, friends and family more to do on the relationship side. But, you know, a job coming to an end or a relationship coming on, uh, whether romantic or not, isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? If it means both parties can then move on to better things or, or more fitting, fitting people or, or relationships. So mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a really great lesson, I, I guess, you know, to learn and, and then to have the coach reinforce with you that, you know, hey, that, you know, I understand why you feel that way, but this isn't so bad. So you end up making the decision to leave. And then what was kind of the next step from there? Was there a bit of a break? It sounds like because of kind of the family aspect? Yeah, so I, di I didn't have another job to go to when I left. Um, mm. I just knew I needed to leave. And, um, and at the same time, I think we by that point, we'd been married for you know, two, three years, something like that. And, and we decided that the time was right, we wanted to start a family. And, uh, and most of my friends said, well, why didn't you just stay for the maternity leave, Grace? You know, like in the UK, our maternity leave is, is probably better than the US. Right. Um, but yeah, and, and I just, I think it was just because in my gut, I really, I just knew I was in the wrong place. So if I stayed, mm -hmm. and by this point, I was getting quite stressed already. So if I stayed, it just wouldn't be good for me. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah, that's probably not going to be good for the baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, Absolutely. um, yeah. So yeah. What, what would you recommend to someone who's maybe in a similar situation right now? They're in a job, they, they don't feel good about it, maybe even physically, mentally. Uh, and, and they know it's not right for them. What do you recommend? Should should people leave right away? Should they look for, you know, what are the factors to consider? I think it's, I think one of the big factors is finding, finding at least one person to talk to who can kind of hold a positive mirror up for you. Because I think mm. when you're in that position, quite often your confidence has been knocked. So yeah, the thoughts of applying for another job, the thoughts of having to go through an interview process, all of that kind of stuff. If your confidence is already low, there's a, often just a huge barrier to overcome to kind of even just put yourself forward because you've, you, you, it's been chipped away really. So I think being, you know, for me, being able to speak to that coach and kind of just be able to see actually it's just a mismatch. It's not a good fit. It's not that I failed or that I'm no good. So it's not like, um, a competence thing it's more just um you know it's the um oh there's that quote isn't it i'm sure einstein didn't say it but it was often it's often attributed to him the um you know if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree it will always believe it's stupid it is right. that kind of thing you're just in the wrong environment um so i think yeah i think one of the factors is is finding a way to reconnect with who you are and what your ideal environment is Hmm. Um, and then I think whether you leave or not is a really personal decision. So um, I, I always always hesitate at telling somebody, oh, you have to leave or you shouldn't, you know, because it, it's going to depend on lots of factors. So I was in a really fortunate position, like, yes, we were decided to start a family, but we didn't have the kids yet. So there was a little bit of time there, but also my husband was in a, um, you know, a fairly secure position. So we knew that we could, you know, we could is, exist on one salary. Right. Um, so that bought me some time to think about and to revisit you know, what I wanted to do. Um, and actually, you know, some, some time later, I think maybe a decade later, something like that, um, we, we swapped. So my, my husband was in oh, a position wow. where he needed to like step back and he wanted to go and, and do his master's. So he took a sabbatical and that's when 
yeah, that's when I took over. And you know, my, in fact, that at that point, my business goal for several years was I'd like to be earning a significant portion, proportion of our family income. And then by the, from the time when he said, I think I might like to take a sabbatical and do this master's to the time when he actually left his job and I needed to kind of step up. I went from something like bringing in 10% to bringing in 100%. Right. Awesome. <laughs> so and, it's and funny it's how these motivator. things work. Yeah, mm, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's very cool. So Grace, I want to talk a little bit about getting into coaching because it's mm. definitely become extremely popular, right, in the, in the last five, 10 years. And, and there's so many versions, right, so many types of, of coaches that you can become. How did you, when you kind of got it set in your mind that this is what you wanted to do, how did you approach it? You said you did some training. What, what was the thought process like in terms of, you know, what kind of training should you do? You know, what do you need to get done before you kind of hang the, hang out the, sh the shingle, so to speak? Yeah, so I think um, you know, back then, I guess now the coaching industry is probably much more established. Um, but back then there weren't that many options for, for training. Um, so yeah, so I, I kind of just looked into all of them, looked into the feasibility, the logistics of it. I decided to go for a distance learning one because of having a small child. Um, and that worked really well because then I could do most of it, most of the kind of study in my own time. But then there were, <coughs> excuse me, there were times when we would then you know, meet face to face to do the practical stuff. Um, and then a lot of it is about getting the hours in, like getting the practice in. So a lot of it was, you know, finding, finding friends, finding, you know, former colleagues, you know, people that I knew, you know, who, who I could practice on and kind of just really go from there. So that's the, I guess that's the skills side of becoming a coach, but then there's a whole setting up in business side, which, um, is really interesting because as a coach you're trained in that you can coach anybody on anything which is absolutely true from a coaching perspective but it's also really tricky from a marketing perspective because if i can work with anybody on anything i've got no you know i've got no positioning in terms of my marketing i've got no niche so um i'd say be prepared to explore if you're setting up as a coach in your own, you know, and running your own business, be prepared to explore different areas and different niches because you don't land on it first time round. So yeah. I, you know, I started working. You know, I, I was a burnout coach for a bit. Um, I was a life coach. I was a business coach. Um, and then what I found was that I kept ending up working with people who were juggling business and family. Um, and no, the number one challenge was too much to do, not enough time. How do we fit it all in? Um, and of course, I was in the same position as well. So running a business, raising a family. Um, and I actually, I'm actually naturally disorganized. So I wouldn't have picked time management or productivity as my thing. Um, but because that question kept coming up, that was the number one challenge, the number one question, I just got to a point where I was like, okay, Grace, just answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people keep asking you this question, just try and answer it. And I thought, okay, I'll give it a go. And if it helps somebody, I'll keep doing it. And if it doesn't help anyone, then I'll do something else. Um, and it turns out that because I'm naturally disorganized and also because I think I wasn't in a nine to five job where I had defined boundaries and I had an office and I had a team to work with, um, you know, my, my situation was quite un unconventional. I think that gave me a unique perspective that allowed me to put things together that would help people in a similar position. 
mm-hmm. you know, someone, other people who were also going, but none of the time management you know, textbooks work for me because I'm not in that position. Um, so for me, it was much more around kind of how do we manage our energy, our attention, you know, a lot of the kind of mindset and psychology around the work rather than, you know, how do I schedule everything in and have everything run, run on time? Right. Yeah, it's super interesting. And it almost goes back to the, the kind of like theory that sometimes learning from experts or, you know, like uh, people who almost know things too much can be more difficult because you're you're on a different level, right? In this case, because you are one of them it's struggling through those problems, you're probably like much more on the same level and can then relate and actually communicate those solutions to them that much better. So that's super yeah. interesting. I mean, also pretty clearly, I mean, one way to find out a niche is just put yourself out there and see what people keep asking you for, right? <laughs> so so you, it, it was like a lot of awareness, I would think, that you had mm. to just kind of be open-minded and, and see, you know, what were people asking for? So what was it like when, when you kind of noticed those questions? You're like, huh, you know, I'm noticing a theme here. Let me lean into it. What, how did it go when you started leaning into it? And, and like you said, kind of like answering the question, how did it go? I'm assuming it went well, otherwise we wouldn't yeah. be here right now, right? <laughs> uh, in terms of like the productivity type focus? Yeah, it did. I think it it's exactly what you said about kind of being really relatable. Um, and I think with hindsight, that the way I compare it to is if I was to hire a maths tutor for one of my kids, um, if you know, because my if, if my kids were struggling with maths, um, I wouldn't want to hire the maths genius because for mm-hmm. them it all comes really naturally. They they don't know what it's like to struggle with it. Mm-hmm. I'd rather hire someone who knows what it's like to struggle with it, who can meet them where they're at, but also then go well. Here's here here are the steps that you can take mm-hmm. to help with that, rather than just like well it's easy it's this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, so I think I I started off with. You know, I started with just the you know, writing blogs, um, and and I did teleseminars in the days before webinars, <laughs> <laughs> and and just did like really short thirty-minute segments on a particular theme, and I'd invite people to ask their questions, and I would answer the question, just talk around it, um, and and I'd record them, and then you know have the replay available for people, and you know, and and that just you know, kind of grew from there, and then the opportunity actually arrived on. Facebook of all places, where um, basically somebody I knew had written a book that was part of a series of 21 Ways books. Um, and you know, they, they'd been having a chat with their publisher and they said, oh yeah, we've just come up with a title that we think would fit really well within our series. It's called 21 Ways to Manage the Stuff that Sucks Up Your Time. Mm. And, um, and she was like, oh, I bet I know, I know a few people who'd write this. And I thought, oh, that's kind of what I'm looking into at the moment. So I replied, I commented on that post, a few other people did as well. And the publisher basically called our bluff. So she said, well, here's the submission form if you want to submit a proposal. So I thought, okay, I'll give it a go. And um, so I filled it in. I think it was um, the last thing I did before stopping for the Christmas holidays. And, you know, and then I didn't think anything more of it. And then in January, they got in touch and I got this email saying, oh, we really like your proposal. Um, would you like us to send the book contract over? Like, are you still interested? I was like, okay. <laughs> and so that's how that came along. So wow. 2012 is when I wrote that book. That was my first book. Um, and then the same year that I, yeah, at the same time I'd 
met um, Graham Olcott on Think Productive, uh, from Think Productive, and we'd met on Twitter. Hmm. So we started chatting and found that we had a very similar approach to productivity. And he was writing how to be a productivity ninja at the same time. So he was on my brave list to ask for endorsements. And he actually got in touch with me first wow. and said, yeah, he said, hey, Grace, um, do you fancy reviewing my book? I was like, okay, do you want to do a swap? <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so that's how we kind of started um, you know, to get to know each other. And then next time he happened to be in Birmingham, which is the largest city closest to me, um, yeah, he said, do you want to meet up for a coffee? So we did. And um, it turns out that um, his business, Think Productive, the way that they work is they have different productivity ninjas that deliver their training. Um, so he said, we're actually looking for somebody in the Midlands in, in your area. Would you be interested? Hmm. So that's how I became Think Productive's first female productivity ninja. Wow. That's that's a really it's funny how all these kind of pieces of the puzzle fall into place. Is it safe then to say, Grace, that you're big into social media? I mean, it sounds like Facebook group was one awesome thing. This Twitter connect connection, another awesome thing. How do you recommend coaches lean into or rely on social media? I think you find your place and you find your different medium. So I think um, blogging was a, a very early thing I did because I, I love writing. So that was an easy thing for me to do. But also because I was stuck in Stafford, which isn't that big, um, you know, and I didn't actually know that many people um, locally to me. Um, so it was very hard for me to find clients by doing the kind of, you know, the local networking type thing. So mm -hmm. for me, social media was a way of, of finding people and, um, and connecting with people across a whole different kind of, you know, across geography, basically. So, you know, I've had clients all over the place, um, but, you know, it's that connection based on, based on topic, based on approach, rather than based on locality. Got it. I want to spend a few uh, of our last, like I'd love to spend the last section talking about productivity tips specifically, but really quickly before we get into that, can you give maybe one or two of your top tips or top things that you think helped you land those first few clients or, or continue to grow your sales? Because there's so many people who want to get into coaching or in coaching, but like any business, it's all about getting those clients, right? So any tips, like one or two pieces of advice to give yourself the best chance of success in that regard? Yeah, I, I think it's don't overlook the... Um, it, it's almost look in the really obvious places. Hmm. So it's the places we often overlook. So um, I have clients who, who have had that 25 years experience in a corporate, you know, high flying career, and then they've you know, come away to do their own thing. And they're going, right, I'm starting from scratch. How do I find clients? And then I'm like, hang on a minute. Haven't you just come away from a 25 year career somewhere? Don't you have connections there? And don't you have a, a certain standing there? And it's amazing how often people discount that because they feel like, well, I'm moving away from that. Mm -hmm. So surely that's that's the part of my life that is over and done with. Mm -hmm. And I want to create a new thing over here. Mm. And you know, far too often, I think we, we discount the things that are that are obvious to us. Um, sure. So that would probably be, be my biggest tip. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree with that. Awesome. So Grace, let's talk about productivity, right? It's it's never been easier to get distracted, right? Phones, internet, the list goes on, especially with COVID. I mean, depending on where you're living right now, you know, I'm still stuck inside. So, you know, anything can grab your eye. What's the biggest struggle or, or biggest complaint that you typically get or, or kind of, you know, struggle to overcome for people? And then what do you, what do you recommend to those people? 
Yeah, I think you know, a, a big one is that distraction. So it's, it's distractions combined with procrastination. And I think the two can feed each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so it comes, from, it comes from a couple of areas. It comes from there's too much to do, like especially for solopreneurs. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're starting up in business. There, there are so many ideas. You know, at that stage, CEO basically means chief everything officer. You're just doing everything. So I think the, the, there is going to be overwhelm. There's going to be ideas overwhelm, but there's also going to be a lot of, um, I guess, what I call lizard brain overwhelm as well. So you, because you're putting yourself out there, because you're doing something new, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of, um, have I got what it takes? Um, so that there's kind of quite a high emotional load as well as the cognitive load that we're mm-hmm. dealing with. Um, you know, and, and that's what creates this kind of perfect storm of, well, if I've already got cognitive overload, if my brain feels really busy and I'm scattered already just with the stuff inside my head, then it's far easier for something in my line of vision to catch my attention. So ping, an email goes in my inbox, I go straight there. Um, and one of the reasons behind that is that um, our, basically the way that the, our brain works is whenever that ping happens, it creates an open loop. And you know, what we want to do is close that loop. So we want to click on it. We want to see what's happening. We want to be able to tick things off a list because that gives us a sense of completion and that releases dopamine in our brain. Hmm. And so that, yeah, and that feels good. And so when we're surrounded with lots of uncertainty of like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing here, or I'm not sure I've got what it takes, or, you know, I've got decisions I need to make and I'm not, you know, I don't know which way to go. Um, the certainty of answering an email, doing the ironing, you know, fixing that light bulb or whatever it is that catches your eye um, is is really tempting. It's really attractive mm. in that moment because you know, that's easier for us to do than you know, tackle and, and kind of wrestle with that uncertainty. Um, so in, in terms of productivity tips, in my second book, How to Be Really Productive, there's a whole chapter there on lizard brain and mind monkeys and lizard brain, it's called. So mm. it's on kind of like the, the psychological sort of mind management of dealing with those things and you know some of the things around that is like grappling with um sometimes it's just kind of shutting everything off so if you reduce the amount of temptations you know, if your email isn't pinging if you've got the notifications turned off you haven't got it you know, in front of you then you've got far less things going hey look at me right. um you know and little things like um so i talked in you know, very much in the early days about baby steps um, because that's the only way I could get anything done um, was you know, in between nap times and school runs and things like that. It was always baby steps. Um, but also, if you're writing down on a to-do list, the very next action you need to do, that's a baby step. Whereas if you write on a to-do list, you find a client or set up the website. Right. And, you know, it's, it's just too big. And so the more that we can make it concrete and, and sort of definite, you know, the more kind mm. of small we can make it, the, the less uncertainty there is for our brain to handle, um, the easier it looks like a quick hit that we can get a dopamine hit from to like tick off. Um, but also if you've only got tiny bits of attention in between other commitments, yeah, you've got a higher chance of being able to get a small thing done rather right. than set up website. Yeah, that, that's such a great idea. As, as somebody who 
almost exclusively relies on a to-do list. It's it's such a great way, like you said, to just kind of piece it up. It's something I'll definitely start implementing a little bit more. When it comes to email, as someone who is 100% addicted to email, so do, do you recommend then, like I'm, I, I have two screens and typically the way I work is I'm working on my one screen and I have email open on the second. Is, is that a total no-no? Yeah, so, Okay, I'll, I'll answer that question, but I'm going to ask you a question first. Mm -hmm. So what, where do you create the most value in your business, in your work? Uh, probably, well, kind of like sales and marketing and, and kind of product development, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Am I allowed to? Does that yeah, count? you're allowed yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so tell me a bit more about that. What, what is it that you do that adds that value, that creates that value? Probably, yes. So sales and marketing side is, you know, creating content, as you said, you know, live sessions, live videos, kind of growing the brand name, stuff like that. And then product is more kind of like uh, helping guide the uh, tech side of stuff. So helping design, you know, changes and updates that we want to make to, to the technology as well. I don't do the mm. technical work, but kind of, uh, you know, product roadmap and stuff like that. Yeah. So where does email fit into that? Well, we get a lot of email from our users, uh, so that's always fun, um, mm -hmm. and uh, less so on the product side. That That's more Slack, which might be a whole mm. other conversation, <laughs> um, but probably more on like, you know, the, the user emails coming through or, you know, conversations, for, you know, with other people to create partnerships, stuff like that. Mm. So email is like the conduit, isn't it? It's kind of, you know, it was what helps you to marry up like the ideas that you have with the people that can help you you know help make it happen or the people that you can bring it to so it's it's a tool that we use to talk about the work sometimes to deliver the work but the actual work itself is work that's happening in your head and if you've got email on all the time it's potentially just distracting you and it's it's only tiny, so we don't always notice it. We get so used to it. We get so used to scanning, being in scanning mode, kind of flitting from one thing to another. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there, there have been several studies around kind of distractions and attention. Um, there's one done by Microsoft in 2014. No, 2004 was the Microsoft one. Um, and basically, they interrupted people with one minute interruptions and found that it took them an average of 15 minutes to get back to the thing that they were doing before. Mm. And this was with that kind of deep focus tasks. So they were writing right. reports, they were designing software or fixing bugs in the code. Um, so 15 minutes to recover your attention from a one minute interruption, it, hmm. that means it would only take four badly timed interruptions to take a whole hour of your day. Right. Right. Yeah, you, you hear a lot about, or at least I've kind of heard and read a lot about switching costs of just like switching attention from, from one task to, to another. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, that's it. Exactly. So that explains why sometimes you've got lots of windows open and that sort of thing. You might be closing everything down and you find that one thing that you started at the beginning of the day that you haven't got any further because mm -hmm. you've been scanning and switching. Um, but also that's when we get so used to switching, our brain then looks for the next dopamine hit that comes from switching to the next thing. Mm. Um, and so that makes it even harder to get that deep dive focus. So that's why... It's, yeah. it's like a vicious cycle, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. wow. Exactly. So if you, like I found, find it when, when I have to go into deep kind of book writing mode um, and I switch everything else off, 
um, there's a part of me that kind of really, really, really wants to go and check something. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it is, it's like, um, I'll, I'll put a timer on, for example, and I'll go, oh, I just want to check. And I'll look at the timer. It's like, damn it, it's only been two minutes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if I resist the urge to scratch that itch and I kind of ride my way through, it's almost like I break through the surface and I suddenly go deep dive. And right. then the next thing I know, I've done like an hour's writing and, and I've gotten somewhere. Whereas if I keep just bobbing along the surface, I won't get to that kind of really good sort of deep focus. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So I'd love to hear, Grace, what is like a, if you're having a day where you're, you know, perfectly productive or, you know, as close to perfect as you can get, what does your kind of work day look like? Are, are you checking email twice a day, four times a day? Are you, are, you know, how do you use a to-do list? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, with my work, there's, there's different kinds of days. You know, some days I am on site delivering workshops, or at least I used to be. Nowadays, I'm in front of a screen. Um, but, you know, that, that's where my focus needs to be. So I think for me, it's always a question is like, where does my attention need to be and how do I want to show up? So if my attention needs to be in you know, creative book writing mode, um, that's going to be a different that, that day is going to look very different to if my attention needs to be you know, showing up for um, you know, an interview like this um, or you know, when I'm kind of delivering a workshop. So I think you know, what, the questions that I, I tend to ask myself is like, where does my attention need to be today? And um, how do I want to show up? And then how do I create that environment? So what's going to help me to, to create that? So if I'm having a day where I'm doing lots of following up with leads and business development and that sort of thing, I probably will have my email open. Right. because I'm, I'm like replying to emails and yeah, that, that's the work. Um, but if I'm having a day when I need to, when my attention needs to be on somebody else or my attention needs to be on you know, a piece of deep thinking or writing or something like that, then I'll switch my email off and probably only look at it you know, two or three times a day. Got it. Um, so it really is about kind of choosing to use the tool to serve you rather than the other way around. Right. That's a great approach. Uh, I, I love the answer and I, and I love the just kind of ad adapting to the type of day, right? Because I mean, as entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, no two days are the same, right? So as you mm -hmm. said, kind of adapt to, to what you need to show up as. That, that's really great. Uh, Grace, I wanted to ask you one more question, just a little bit more generally. If, you know, a lot of our listeners are uh, solopreneurs kind of early on, or they might still be working a nine to five and, and thinking about pulling the trigger. What are one or two pieces of just kind of general business or entrepreneurial advice you would give to someone who's maybe not loving what they're doing right now? They have some ideas for, you know, a business or a side hustle. What, what are one or two tips you would give to them? Oh, great question. Um, I think one tip would be to get used to experimenting. Um, so get into the habit of making it up as you go along. Because um, quite often we feel like we want a blueprint or we want to plan a solid plan to be able to go ah oh, this is what i'm going to do but a lot of the the entrepreneurial journey you you discover as you go um so mm -hmm. one of the things i write about actually in in struggle is about how sometimes the the moments where you're struggling the most are actually you know, quite often what we do is we think of struggle as a sign that something's gone wrong that like you know, we're we failed or we've taken the wrong turn we're in the wrong place but actually, sometimes the moments, like for me, the moments that I've struggled in the most in my career and in my business have actually been really refining moments and defining moments. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like 
you know, when you know, one of the things I'm really I'm you know, still really grateful for to, to this day is that I didn't work in a large corporate because if that job hadn't worked out when I was in a large corporate, the chances are they would have just moved me on to another job within that right. corporate. Um, and I could have just bounced around from job to job, kind of doing just about well enough not to get fired, but still like not, um, you know, not being in a place where I was giving my best and, you know, and I, and I was getting that kind of satisfaction out of my work. Um, so actually the fact that it was a cutting environment, you know, turns out that was just what I needed because that actually made me make a decision. Um, equally in my business, there've been lots of things that I've tried that haven't worked out. There've been lots of wrong turns. Yeah, there've been some clients that I've worked with that have gone, ah, I shouldn't have said yes to this one. <laughs> um, you know, or projects or partnerships, you know. But, and I think we can sometimes look at those and go, oh, I've got it wrong again, and sort of beat ourselves up about it. Um, but actually, if you allow yourself to sit in that uncomfortable state, and go, okay, what does this tell me? And almost treat it as good information, then you can start to like refine. So for me, like what clients do I serve? Yeah, I'm a, I, like I said earlier, I'm a people pleaser and I'm really accommodating. So I'm like, I genuinely can work with anybody. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, if I get a good client that's not a good fit, I'll go, oh, okay, so this is what doesn't work. And I can use that to almost reverse engineer to, to refine and define like, okay, now, these are the people I serve best, and this is what I do, not this. And um, here's how I work best. Here are my boundaries. Um, so you, know, if you're someone that finds it really hard to set boundaries, for example, there's nothing better than when somebody crosses a line, because like right. that's when you know, oh, that's where the line is. <laughs> and then you can use that as good information to then refine your business. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I've still yet to meet an entrepreneur, solopreneur who's had like a perfect, perfect experience. No no's, no <laughs> hardships. Right. I, I don't think that'll that'll ever happen. So nah. uh, totally agree. Awesome. Grace, this has been super great to kind of hear your story, get some of these productivity tips and advice. If people want to hear more about you or get in touch or, or check out some of your books, where do you recommend that they go? Uh, so gracemarshall.com is where you'll find out all about me and uh, strugglethebook.com is where you'll find out about my latest book. Awesome. And we will link to both of those in the description, whether you're watching on YouTube or maybe listening on the podcast as well. Grace, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Josh.